you know, I could feel that. I, I could, I could just feel it. Like I could feel the laughter from you at me just coming through the interwebs. I could feel it. And you're, and you're on mute. That's the quote of 2020 is you're on mute. <laughs> Dang it. I normally get to do that to you. <laughs> I, I, I am confused and somewhat offended. How yeah, what, I, I what could, do I you could mean? Feel I couldn't see you during the opening. I couldn't see you, but I could, I could feel <laughs> it. Could I could feel just, me laughing at you. Yes. I could feel it. <laughs> you, you get such an awesome game face on in our intro music, just preparing. <laughs> I'm over here kind of jamming out to the music going, yeah, yeah, getting ready, getting ready. You are, okay, nope, got to get prepared. <laughs> How are we going to start this off? Dude, what episode I, number we are we on? Lee. What episode number are oh, we on? Shit, I, gotta I don't even remember what episode number we're on. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to look. <laughs> I hold on. I forgot to look. Yeah, hold I'll on. pull it up. Um, yeah, right here. We this is episode nine of season three. Season three, episode nine. Number thirty-seven. We've done thirty-seven of these things. That's right. And a lot more to go. Oh yeah, absolutely. Don't lament. No, 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 no lamentations. No lamentations. No. So it's 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 all good. But yes, we are we are definitely um well, how should we say back? We are for, back for another episode. As I mentioned, this was episode. What did I say? Nine. Nine. <laughs> <laughs> of season three, number 37. 37, right? 37? Yeah, yeah 37. All right. All right. It was correct 10 minutes ago. So, all right. Well, <clears throat> so here we are. Um, and as always here at the Fusion Underground, we try to make sense of the world by having principled discussions about such topics as entertainment, current events, politics, and culture. Our mission is to educate people to become critical thinkers so they can live more empowered and happier lives. As always, I'm your host, Manuel Ramirez, and joined in the virtual studio, the lovely, the wonderful Jason Moret. How are you doing, brother? I'm good, brother. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> so we are just a few days away from Christmas. Yes, we are. Are you all set for Christmas? I, I have my hat on. I see you have your, hat, your Santa hat on. That's right. I had to move my my poof ball to the other side so I could get this my the poof, headset on. The poof ball is that my the technical ball. term? I don't know. I I tucked the bell. I have a bell tied to the end of this though. I had to oh. tuck it in the brim, otherwise all we would hear was okay. jingling. Okay. Oh, I could. Hear, I heard it there for a you second. You heard it there, just, just like just yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so, really loud. I got it. At, uh, this bell is from the Polar Express. Okay. When uh, my my wife and I took her nephew. A few years ago, here at the Grand Canyon and, Railway, and you're not you're not referring to the movie. You're there's a yeah. What, uh, explain to people what the Polar Express okay. is. So the the here in Williams, uh, uh, just out of Flagstaff, the Grand Canyon Railway, they run a train which goes up normally to the Grand Canyon. Well, um, during the holiday season, they run the Polar Express. So you show up and and um, it's nighttime, and you wear your pajamas and you actually get on the train and they read the Polar Express, uh, the storybook, and you head up to the North Pole, which is a place they have all decorated. And of course, Santa is there and you kind of relive the movie and, and it's, um, it's really cool. And the kids, the kids like it. Actually, I had a blast um, when I went. So it's <clears throat> yeah. a really neat, um, neat experience if you've never done that. 
or Very anything cool. like that. Very cool. Yeah. Well, I didn't do anything like the Polar Express yesterday. You know, I wanted to tell you this. So but, yesterday, but you were afraid because I was going to make no, no, fun no. of you. Oh, no, no, no. Um, it, it, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're going to do it now. Go ahead. <laughs> so yesterday we went to a Christmas party. Okay. You wait. Um, wait, wait. Time out. Yeah. You left your house to go to a party with other people. Well, yes, and you have to understand that I had to prepare for this for two weeks. So <laughs> I believe that. Keep going. <laughs> so um, we only went for a few hours, just for a couple of hours. Um, oh, you and, had the discussion prior to. I know you did. But we okay, took we're going to go. We we and... even took separate cars. <laughs> <laughs> so that way you could say, "Nope, that's it. Right. I'm out." I said I was going to be there for 2.35 <clears throat> hours yeah. and my alarm's gone off and it's yeah. time for me to go. Yeah. So, um, so we got there, you know, and it was at first it was fine. And, uh, but what was interesting, what I found very, very interesting was uh, the present exchange. So they did a, like a white elephant, uh -huh. you're familiar with the whole white elephant gift exchange and the rules yes. of the white elephant gift exchange. So uh, we brought one present. Mm -hmm. And to contribute to the white elephant, you know, like a bottle of wine and some chocolates, whatever. Um, and so it became time to do the white elephant <clears throat> gift exchange. And I've participated in those in, in the past, usually through work, and they can be a lot of fun. Yes, they can. And I know that they can take, they can take a few hours to get through the exchange. Depending upon how big and how many times <clears throat> a, a gift can be stolen and what some right. of the quote unquote house rules of the exchange are. But yes, sure. they can. Yeah, mm -hmm. they can take a couple of hours, which is one of the reasons why I, I, I told Kristen, I said, look, um, you're really the one participating in the white elephant exchange. <laughs> I'm just kind of there. If if things are going too long or whatever, I'm just going to bow out and, and, and leave. Um, but what was interesting about it was, well, the very first gift that was you know when we first started right this, uh -huh. this a lady she goes she pulls a gift it's a gift bag she opens it up and there's a ball gag in in the and i was like oh okay um oh no i don't know these people time to like, bow I, out i'm like, gonna go <laughs> <laughs> like i i don't know who i don't know anybody here i don't right? know the room is this and, for real or is this <laughs> because i need to know whether i need to sit attentively and watch or turn around and roll out right, right. um it was so funny because one of the there was like these two old guys right off to the side and uh and the lady she pulls it out of the bag and and one of the guys that you know he says he's looking at it, he's like what is it so is that like a collar with a bell on it <laughs> yeah just go with that one yep that's what it is. You want it? <laughs> Very festive. Your you know. wife will love it. <laughs> um, but as so, a, a few more people started pulling gifts, and as they pulled, you know, pulled gifts from the tree, and they were, you know, pulling, unwrapping, and whatever, and you quickly saw that most of the gifts were alcohol, and that's usually what what I expect. Okay. Um, but it was what was amazing. I think there was about. There's only like 17 people participating in the white elephant exchange. Um, but after about the, the, the fifth or the sixth present that was pulled, like I started noticing that nobody was 
stealing gifts. Okay. And and in fact, it started to kind of turn into it, it became very Lord of the Flies-ish. Because like like one person was wanted to steal a present from this uh-huh. other lady, and she was like, No, you're not stealing this. And she walked out. She like took the present and walked out the back, the oh. the out the back door. And so like people were unwrapping their presents. And they were just like, oh, it's like, this is something I can eat. And they were just like eating it so that nobody else would steal the presents. And then, and I'm like, I, I, I've never seen this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is not normal behavior. <laughs> right. You know, the lady who walked out the backyard, she's like guzzling. It was like whiskey or something. It was some alcoholic. There was like a, a alcohol bottle of alcohol or whatever. And she's like pounding it because she's like, nobody's going to steal this for me. I'm just going to drink it. And they're just like, and people are like breaking into it. I'm just like, this is so strange. <laughs> this me. is not normal. <clears throat> no, and, that's all the fun is, is stealing gifts and having it come back. And yeah. especially if you do like a husband and wife team where, yeah. cause if you bring two, then yeah. you got, we got double the stealing power. And then because sure, you know, sure. You talk it over with the wife. Okay, I'm going to steal that, but then you can steal it from me, and then I can't steal it from you, but then I get this, and it's locked. And you start you start calling names across over at people. Would you come over here and steal this? I'll come over. I know where you live. And then blah, blah, right. blah, That's how my family at least worked. Oh, so that was family for me, if I didn't yeah. verify that. <laughs> I mean, we, <laughs> that's, that's it. We're all at each other. Yeah. And then, of course, I the, the last person, at least in our family, the last person that like gets you, to gets to steal. They, they can steal whatever the heck they want. Right, right. So yeah, everybody's certain. Oh man, that gets angry and and a lot of fun. Right, and right. a lot of name calling. But so this this was the fastest white elephant I've ever seen. Like it was over in twenty minutes. Well, yeah. If you got you know fifteen people and nobody's allowed to steal anything, and right, nobody was chowing nobody was down the anything. presents as they're still opening stuff. Yeah. It's like. Oh man, I just you want to just make sure you keep all your digits intact right. so they don't get accidentally, you know, chewed off by somebody sitting there mowing down a gift. I mean, it was like you. it was like people like opening gifts and like licking it, you know. I dare you to come and take it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> just take a gift and go, no, I'm not even gonna open it. So right. <laughs> you know, take this out to the car, go home. <laughs> yeah, it was it was uh it was a bit strange. So um and then it was about nine o'clock when everything finished and then we left. It's kind of weird. Yeah, so, that is very weird. Yeah. That is very weird. Yeah, so I, well. I always wanted to do a, a big massive like gift exchange. Do you ever um did you ever see the movie The Santa Claus? Two. Yes. I'm thinking of the second yes. one. Yes. Where um um Tim Allen shows up uh at the the teacher's faculty Christmas party. Mm-hmm. And he's got all the old like games and stuff like that. And all these adults are playing like toss across and rock'em sock'em robots and eating, yeah. you know, making all the little bugs and stuff that it was like a mad scientist workshop. And you ate, I mean, that kind of stuff that would be awesome to do with a whole bunch of adults where you just, everybody brings like one of their favorite childhood games or one of those things. And that's what you did for the party. You know, you open a gifts and you just played with toys all day. Sounds awesome. Don't invite me. No, I know you won't. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I would get you a deck of cards and say for solitaire go. only on it. Yeah. And there you go. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for thinking of me. Appreciate mm-hmm. it. <laughs> of course. The most so, thoughtful gift. 
Yes. So we've got we've got uh, quite an action packed episode here for folks that listening here. We've got we're going to be talking about stoicism and we're going to be talking about looking specifically at uh, Epictetus. You have to understand, Jason thinks this is a dirty word. Uh, you cannot say Epictetus and not think of something <laughs> else. That's just so not right. And you keep making me say it over and over again. <laughs> so we're going to be looking at some of the writing from Epictetus. I think it's really interesting. The reason why I got this idea for to do an episode around this is because we've always talked about having values and principles. And and so I thought, well, let's let's look at, at some philosophy, um, particularly Stoicism, um, we'll read some of the passages. I'll read some of the little <clears throat> clips or tidbits from uh, Epictetus's um, Enchiridion, and uh, we'll talk about it. And we'll see what that what that's like. Uh, for those that have not read the uh, Enchiridion, uh, I I would highly encourage anybody to read it. Uh, it's Greek word. It essentially means the manual. So it's a it's essentially a manual for life, a handbook for living life. And so we're going to, we're going to dive into that. We're going to, we're going to talk about some of these passages uh, from Epictetus and kick them around a little bit, see what happens there. But before we do that, I have a couple of news articles that I wanted to share with you. Okay. So I think you will get a kick out of some of this. So um, I don't know if you've been keeping up with the wrestling scene and I don't mean the WWE. I'm literally meaning like, you know, Greco-Roman wrestling or whatever from the state of Ohio, like because oh, everybody yeah. does, right? Everybody oh does. yeah, I'm 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 in that like absolute what? No, yeah. So <laughs> in in Ohio State, so uh, Ohio, the state of Ohio. I don't mean Ohio State uh, okay, University. Okay. The state of Ohio has said that high school wrestlers will be able to wrestle this year. Okay. Okay. Amid, you know, the whole COVID right, pandemic, right. they're like, they said, so you can wrestle, but you cannot shake hands before or after a match. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I don't mean to laugh. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This is, this is true. <sighs> so this is from WLWT5 NBC station out of Cincinnati. They were reporting this earlier this week. They said among the new rules for student athletes, um, student athletes are permitted to wrestle, but must refrain from handshakes before and after the match. Wrestlers are also required to wear facial coverings off the mat when not actively com- competing or warming up. So, you know what they rest, you know what wrestling means, right? Yeah. You literally body to body, hands, arms, legs, everything everywhere all on top of each other, no sweating, space. drooling on on each other, spitting, I mean, slobbering. Like, I mean, it's real. That it, it, it and you're going to say you can take your face covering, i.e. your mask off, off. when you're <laughs> wrestling. Right. But when you're not, you got to put it back on. And you can't shake hands. Right. Because God forbid, if I just had my hand all over in your armpit and on your shirt and your body and your right. face and everywhere else, I wouldn't want to touch your hand as well. Right. Right. Because then I might touch my face. 
God. We're so dumb. It says here on the article, it says equipment should not be shared. If equipment needs to be shared, OHSAA, this is the regulating body from Ohio State, mandates the proper sanitation between use. Student athletes must also sanitize their hands before and after warmups at all timeouts and period breaks anytime they leave the competition or practice mats. So forget about the fact that you're just going to be sweating out of every pore of your body. Yeah. Or literally rubbing all over each other. And OSHA is actually OSHA, I believe. No, O-H-S-A-A. No, this is the Ohio High School Athletic Association. School. Oh. Ohio High School Athletic Association. I stand corrected because actually OSHA would actually might make some more sense out of all this. So you can't shake hands and you, you, you have to have a mask on when you're on the bench. Right. Otherwise you can slobber and rub all over each other. It's totally fine. You don't have to worry about social distancing, but don't congratulate each other. What can they pat each other on the back? No. Well, I don't know. It doesn't say anything about patting on the back. It says all those on the team bench also need to observe social distancing of six feet. (laughs) You have to understand if you've never been in, participated in, or watched wrestling. The whole idea is actually trying to press your body against the body of your opponent because any gap of space, even the amount of an inch, will allow your opponent to To escape and move and escape so you literally have to keep them pressed up against you as close as you can all the time and that means everywhere head to toe right yes but you have to be six foot apart from your teammates on the bench bench. regardless of the fact that we were just practicing we've been practicing together all week which means we've been wrestling each other all week and warming up in preparation for a wrestling match. This makes act this this actually makes about as much sense <clears throat> as going to prom and butt dancing back to back. Right. This this is just this is just look at us do crazy stupid stuff for the sake of fake uh you know a faux sense of security it's a faux sense of security it's absolute crap and i'm sorry it that's it's so stupid and and anybody out there and everybody out in ohio knows it so the ultimate question is why even bother go through the charade of stupidity you're not fooling anybody nobody's right. i mean nobody's going oh well that makes sense god forbid it we don't want to shake hands we'll all our insides will spontaneously combust yeah well um, and and then there's another there's another procedure here another big change comes from officiating to conclude the end of match procedure the official may point to the winning wrestler while raising his or her own arm with open hand having the requisite wristband color red green of the winning wrestler so rather than lifting their you know lifting their arm they lift the arm just the the official will raise his arm his or her arm and then point to have you have you watched a wrestling match those officials are literally on the mat 
right there inches away, inches yeah. away from the wrestlers. Yeah, they they have their nose in the armpits of the wrestlers. They're right there. They're right there on. because it, they're it looking for illegal illegal holds, biting those types of things. Looking at you know making sure that the shoulders they have to get down there see if the shoulders are actually pinned or not. All this kind of they're right. The the officials are, are right down in there the entire time this is yep. just um, and and literally the the i'm not exaggerating it you're talking about movements within a half an inch yeah yeah that's seriously about the width of your thumb less than right, right. so you're yeah breathing all over each other right here <laughs> right up in your grill down here smelling all your stank too and he's right there up, i mean and you're gonna say he's not allowed to touch your Wrist? forearm right seriously because if you're you're huffing and puffing down there breathing out right breathing all yeah. over each other and the official but uh you know heaven forbid if we grab somebody's hand we'll we'll contract the coronavirus because apparently the coronavirus is only contracted through uh hand touching well but the the referee only no no, no. hand touching i understand hand. but even normally Right. The official raises the arm, not the hand. But it doesn't matter. I touched you with my hand. Well, yeah, but that's so dumb. <laughs> oh my god, dude! So I don't know, man. This I is don't just, know. This is just. Uh, this is just uh, stupidity. Idiots. Okay. I had, about- I had a good one for you, actually. With the Corona uh-huh. thing, reminds me of just that. I went looking for a CD for a coworker. Uh-huh. Okay. You know, the old compact disc, if you still know what CDs are. I know you're much more technologically advanced, so you didn't know. Um, At least you didn't say old, but keep going. That's okay. So I was in, um, I actually stopped by Walmart trying (laughs) desperately to find a CD because believe it or not, it was harder than I thought to find those. Yeah. And I had to go up and ask one of the associates. I said, I'm so sorry, but I'm looking for the CDs. Do you guys still have them? And he said, well, normally we do, but we don't right now because of COVID. Wait. And I went, what? I don't know. Wait, <laughs> you're going to catch COVID from a CD? I don't understand. And he says, well, no, normally we have them out in like the bins and just like the DVDs out in the bins, you know, for five, 10 bucks or whatever. I said, well, you've normally got them on the rack too, but okay. I understand what you're talking about. He said, well, when those with those big bins, people come and actually, you know, dig through they them dig and they're dig. So it's possible for, you know, people touching them and all that to go. I, I said, your whole store is full of stuff on the shelf that people touch. Right. And put back and put back. <clears throat> right. Why? What's with it? Why is that? Uh, he goes, have, have I, you- I said, that is the dumbest thing I ever heard. Sir, is there a problem here? Yes, your store is dumb. <laughs> have, have you been to the grocery store and watching people pick up you know apples no i don't want that one let me pick up no yeah. i don't want that one to pick up another you know i did it today i was at the grocery store uh-huh. and i wanted an avocado and i picked up an avocado like kind of squeeze a little Squish bit no it. yeah that's not that's too hard no let me get the next avocado yep. i mean this is I, just i was looking at a pineapple actually a handful of pineapples do you oh. know how to check and see if a pineapple is ripe? do you know well i've heard a couple of different ways okay well I, the way uh, i was taught or the way i know is on the bottom where the actual button on the bottom under under the bottom of the pineapple you actually smell it if it smells like a ripe fresh pineapple there you go you can actually smell that same with a a honeydew or a A muskmelon my dad call it same thing you you smell the button um 
I've also seen for pineapple, you take, you, you pick up the, like by the leaves at the top. Mm-hmm. And if you can pull out, if you can pick it up and if the weight of the pineapple causes it to causes the leaf to fall, to pull out, then it's a very, very ripe pineapple. That sounds like rotten to me. I don't know. That's what, <laughs> that's what the guy at the grocery store told me. He said, if you can easily pluck out the uh-huh. leaf, that means it's ripe and ready for you to eat like right eat. now or at least yeah. two days ago because it's probably turning brown on the most inside. of the time most of the time you have to buy a pineapple and then let it sit for a week okay <clears throat> so yeah. so yeah i testing fruit good good call yeah. yep yeah. um or god knows what else all right well here here's something here's something really stupid so i found this story off of not the bee so if for those who are unaware the babylon bee is a uh is a satirical site, but because news is so uh, ridiculous now, they started a separate website called Not The Bee. It's run by the same company and everything, but it's not satirical. They literally are, they're reporting on actual news stories oh, that are okay. just redonkulous. They've been, they've been out here now for a couple of months. So I picked up this one, which is actually good. It, this was a story that was, uh, that was on Twitter and uh but the not the bee carried it so <clears throat> the title of this is google sends seven-year-old warning that his parents are monitoring his account and way too many people are okay with that okay so what would that look like so this one guy and i know him i used to follow him on twitter um he his name is robbie starbuck uh and he's um well, I don't really know what he does. He he he's a writer, something producer. He does stuff in entertainment, I guess. But anyway, um, he's he he wrote he tweeted out that he says our seven-year-old son has to have Google for homeschooling. So naturally we set up parental controls, but look what Google did. They sent my son an email to tell him his privacy is important to them and telling him his son. We're supervising his account. So he has a screen capture of the email that Google sent to his seven-year-old son. And in the screen cap, it says, your parent is supervising your account and devices. So the email here is says, hi, Liam, your privacy is important to us. And we want to remind you that your parent, Robbie Starbuck, is supervising your Google account and signed in devices with family link. There are wow. people that took issue with this. Yeah, I could see that. Now, what do you take issue with? Well, I can understand if I were, let's let's say I'm a parent <laughs> and I'm monitoring my child's behavior online. I don't know that I need someone else other than me telling my child that I'm monitoring their behavior online. Okay. Well, that's not what I'm referring to that people have problems with. Okay. What are you? I'm I'm all ears. Okay. Robbie Starbuck. Let me, let me continue just a little bit more here. Robbie Starbuck actually tweeted out again. He said, I want to clarify that our son knew he had parental controls on his account. Google creeped him by emailing him. And like the smart, the smart boy we raised him to be, he told us, even if he didn't know though, the bottom line, Google has no place contacting kids separately from parents. So that was Robbie Starbucks 
position. Okay. <clears throat> but other people felt that this was entirely appropriate and should have been done by Google. This other guy, Julian Andre Claude, Claudie, Claude, I don't know how to pronounce his name. He tweeted back, he tweeted back, they, Google, have the right and the duty to inform their users that they are being monitored by a third party. Andrew Watkins replied, of course it's Google's place to tell your child they're being monitored for the precise reason that you could decide not to tell them. Robbie Starbuck replied, that's not their job. They have no rights over my children. This isn't communist China last time I checked. So people are basically saying, yeah. no, Google has the right. Your child has the right to know that you're spying on them because you might not tell them that you're monitoring them. He's well, seven. Yeah. And there, that's so there's, I think, the key. If you were going to try and make that argument about, let's say me, okay? Let's say that I have somebody monitoring my accounts. Do I think Google or whatever platform that I'm searching on should tell me? Sure, I'd like to know, but I'm an adult. Nobody He's else should be seven. watching. This is a child. He's seven, and Google knew it was the parent yeah. monitoring the seven-year-old. This, this, is, this is insanity. Yeah. It, it's... Uh, this, We've this talked is, before about the indoctrination of children and turning them into the new generation of fighters that are out there. Um, yeah. That's something I've mentioned as far as the war on our culture. But um, Leslie Carhart, Leslie Carhart, she replied. She wanted to weigh in on what was happening here. So she tweeted, replying to Robbie Starbuck, this is a rare instance in which I'm very proud of Google. This feature will save lives as these monitoring services are perpetually misused by domestic abusers. Google doesn't know if you're a helicopter parent or a boyfriend beating his girlfriend if she looks for a shelter. Robbie Starbuck tweeted in reply, tweeted back to Leslie Carhart and said, I highly doubt an adult would be using second grade Google Classroom. Google is aware that my wife and I are the parents connected through Family Link and our second grader used Google Classroom. Let's use our brains. We can protect adult victims from abusers and kids from big tech. Yeah. That was very eloquently, eloquently said. And then <clears throat> this other guy, Echo Magpie, <laughs> that's that's this person's the echo Handle. magpie retweet they retweeted or replied back quote parents have every right not to tell their kids unquote quoting robbie starbuck right lmao laughing my ass off there goes your relationship honesty is key dude no <laughs> wait that Parents have every right not, not to, tell. to tell their kids. If if you okay, wanted well, to, and, if and you have a seven-year-old in second grade, yeah. you have every right to monitor your seven-year-old's Google account yes. and not tell them. Yes. I Wait, agree with that. Echo Magpie says, there goes your relationship. Honesty is key. You should be honest with your child. But he said he was. He, he knew that. He did know that. That's so why pay his son... attention. <laughs> and you just said that was okay. Now you're going to say that's your fault. You should be. Dude, go away. <laughs> <laughs> these, these people are in, these people are insane. God almighty, man. 
this I have been scared for a long time about the world I'm raising my kids in. Um, but good God, this well, is getting harder and harder to be optimistic. Well, let's let's look at this one here. This one is from oh. Fox News, you know, because everybody's going to re- re- tell me that Fox News is not real news, but whatever. Uh, you're wrong. Um, San Francisco committee wants to remove Abraham Lincoln's name from high school. Yeah. Okay. So um, remember, it was not too long ago when we were comparing um, uh, Barack Obama to Abraham Lincoln. Yes, I remember that. You remember that? Yes. Yeah. Um, And people were celebrating that Barack Obama was the next Abraham Lincoln. Correct. But now Abraham Lincoln is not woke enough, even for Barack Obama. So... So why are we looking at removing Abraham Lincoln's name? I'm, I'm the freer of the slaves. It says here, um, the article says, quote, a San Francisco committee is recommending the removal of former President Abraham Lincoln's name from a high school due to his past treatment of Native Americans. Lincoln High School was one of many that the San Francisco School Names Advisory Committee found to have a problematic title, according to the San Francisco Chronicle. Others included George Washington High School, Herbert Hoover Middle School, and Paul Revere K-8. A variety of criteria could remove historical figures from the list, including being slave owners, known racists or white supremacists, anyone directly involved in colonization, and people connected to human rights or environmental abuses. This is where we are. Lincoln has been touted by many on the left and right, including former President Barack Obama and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, who mentioned him during a bait in October. Lincoln famously led the Union's defeat of the Confederacy in the Civil War and signed the Emancipation Proclamation, which declared slaves in rebellious states to be free. But for Jeffries, the history of Lincoln and Native Americans is complicated, not nearly as well known as that of the Civil War and slavery. He told the Chronicle that, quote, Lincoln, like the presidents before him and most after, did not show through policy or rhetoric that black lives ever mattered to them outside of human capital and as casualties of wealth building, end quote. Lincoln has come under fire for constructing the transcontinental railroad, which affected indigenous lands. He also declined to commute the sentences of 39 Native Americans who were sentenced to hanging. 38 were ultimately hanged in a mass execution after one was granted a last minute reprieve. Not even liberal Senator Dianne Feinstein, Democrat of California, has been spared. The committee sought to remove her name from an elementary school, with Jeffries alluding to allegations that she flew a Confederate flag at City Hall when she was a mayor. (gasps) The horror. Quote, on a local level, Dianne Feinstein chose to fly a flag that that is the iconography of domestic terrorism, racism, white avarice, and inhumanity towards Black and Indigenous people at the City Hall, end quote, he reportedly said. Quote, she is one of the few living examples on our list, so she still has time to dedicate the rest of her life to the upliftment of Black First Nations and other people of color. She hasn't thus far, end quote. So there you have it. Not even not even far left liberal Diane Feinstein can is woke enough for for these people. Um, this is just nonsense. At this point, this is nonsensical. This is just absolutely nonsensical. You can't. At this point, anybody, every single person on the planet will never ever be woke enough because 
you're going to, because these people will find something in your past that will require you to be canceled. Yes. Yes. So this and is I, when we were talking about um, name changes before, I mentioned this. This is this does not stop. This does not end. There's no placation, which is going to satiate the appetite of people who are looking to cancel the history of our country. Right. Which and they will do that one name, one team, one. I even mentioned to you before, and you called me ridiculous, and that's okay. I appreciate that that makes me right later on which i know you hate (laughs) (laughs) but i said that you know there will be a point um maybe not in our generation but even as young as my kids when they go to have a child they'll be handed a list of appropriate and approved names anything outside of that they'll probably have to seek uh approval to get their to name their child because those names will have to be either approved or there'll at least be a list of names that they are not allowed. And most likely those will be non-woke names, which will have somehow, yeah, if, if we said uh, Abraham, well, that's the name of Abraham Lincoln and he was not uh, kind to the indigenous persons of this country. Um, so no, you're not allowed to name your child Abraham because that may in some way uh, give homage to Abraham Lincoln. That sounds absurd to you and I right this moment. Of course. But I'm telling you, it's not that far from reality. Well, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, this is absolutely uh, ridiculous. And I think, I think more Americans need to just stand up and say, you know what? Stop being dumb. Just, just stop it. Knock it off. Uh, yeah. Because it, it, it's, it's tiresome and we can't believe. I, just, I can't take any of these people seriously anymore. It's gotten to the point now where... Um, as soon as somebody, as soon as one of these people sa- says, well, we need to get rid of Abraham Lincoln, I don't even want to hear about it. I don't even want to hear mm-hmm. what the, the, yeah. the message is. And in fact, it's now gotten to the point where my, my first response is, no, we're not going to do that. No, I'm against it. I don't care why. I, I, you know, just because just on principle alone, just because you're being silly, you've been stupid for so long and I'm just sick and tired of it. Stop it. Right. And, and that doesn't, that, that goes against their entire um, you know, their entire movement. If, if you're, if you lose people and you consistently lose, lose people because you just are reaching, you're looking for anything. And we can't even agree that, that Abraham Lincoln, who people were saying is, is like the embodiment of, of Obama now, or Obama is Mm -hmm. the embodiment or was the embodiment of Abraham Lincoln. It was just a few years ago for crying out loud where where they were, where that happened. Um, anyway, I, anyway, I, 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 before we get into Epictetus, Epictetus, I want to talk a little bit about cyberpunk. I know you're not playing the game. Okay. Okay. But I need to talk about this. So I feel like I have put in a, so much time into this game because I have that I can talk about this with, uh, with, with some um, at least experience. I haven't, it's not like I've only put in two hours and I barely scratched the surface. I am right now sitting at, 54.6 hours on steam. Okay. So I've, pl- I've been playing this game. I have been consuming this game. Yes, I, I have been it, everywhere in the world. I'm like, yeah, I have done so much in this game. I love this game so much. Um, but it's getting, it's getting beaten up in the, in the media. 
Um, rightfully so. I mean, the PS4 and the Xbox versions are absolutely pooptastic from what I understand. Uh, you have to have a pretty solid rig to run it on PC. So if, if you don't have a decent rig, you're not playing the game. Um, and if you have a PS4 and Xbox, it's practically unplayable. And, and so uh, it got pulled from the PS4 or PlayStation's um, online store. You can't buy it through there. I think Microsoft pulled it, pulled it from the Xbox store too, um, which is really sad. It, it's, it's a shame because the game uh, is really good. I, I think definitely the PS4 and the Xbox versions should have been given more time to cook. I think they should have just released the, the PC version right now. But anyway, it is what it is. <clears throat> but some of the things that I think are, or you look like you have a question. What's up? No, I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmingly confused. I know um, Cyberpunk came out. It was highly anticipated. I saw it um, on the shelf at um, Best Buy and Walmart and some of those other places. Yeah, It's definitely out there. And so when you say it's unplayable and then they pulled it, I'm going, okay, well, then there must be some sort of very serious issue. And I've heard zero about it other than everybody's like two, both feet and a couple hands into it yeah so uh, i and again i've been playing it on pc so i don't know about the other than what i've read about the game on ps4 and xbox but apparently on ps4 and xbox what they did was uh um cd project red was actually making the game for the upcoming next generation consoles the ps5 and whatever the xbox version is uh, and they didn't tune it well enough. They they didn't spend a lot of time with the current version of Xbox and PlayStation. And so um, there's really low frame rate issues. Um, textures don't load in. All kinds of graphical issues. Um, crashing. Uh, I, I was reading a thing where on PS, PS4 and I think on even on the Xbox, um, most people couldn't even play the game for more than like a minute or two before it was crashing the hardware and they would have to reboot. So just it's it's a it's literally I'm not joking when I say it is literally an absolute disaster on consoles. Microsoft and and Sony are now offering refunds to anybody uh, who purchased it through their online stores if they want a refund back. Um, so it's it's bad. It really it wow. really is bad on the PS4 and the Xbox. But the game, hopefully, CD Projekt Red can get it all stable on all the different platforms uh, because it really is a it really is a good. A good game. So some of the things that I think that I just wanted to mention really quick, um, some of the pros for the game, the storylines are awesome. Um, the storylines, the scope of the world, the world building is really awesome. And, you know, in there now I've read, I've, I read some articles that said, well, the world building isn't all that great. They do bring up some interesting points when they talk about it. What I'm, what I'm referring to is the, is the, the textures of the world feel really gritty i'm gonna pause for a second there hopefully i'll catch back up i saw something with my internet connection going unstable so but now i'm back um the the scope of the world is really gritty the world building i think is really good um there are like a lot of these little if you go walk around the 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 environments and you go into into rooms, for example, you'll see the same books or the same posters on walls. People were complaining about mm -hmm. that. I don't really think that that's big of a deal. Um, yes, I can feel, I can see how you feel like that's a little uh, shallow, um, but you're not going to get developers to spend, you know, thousands of hours just creating little bits and doodads. 
Well, but that's in every game. I'm that's sorry. That's in every game. I, that happens everywhere. Get over that. Yeah. Okay. That happens everywhere. The voice acting is really good. Um, okay. All of the characters, the character developments are really good. And as, as I said, the storylines are really good. Um, I love just being in the world and seeing and like, you know, there, there are little things that will be happening where I'll be driving to one on to one mission and I pull over and I stop and I see something happening on the side of the road. And that leads me down this rabbit hole of, of it, it, what turned out to be just where, or what I thought was like a little crime in progress. All of a sudden that explodes into like a, a little um, storyline, you know, tangent that has nothing to do with the main storyline. So there's, there's a lot of that kind of stuff, which is really, really good. Um, some of the cons of the game, there are a few things that are, that really sort of get to me after a while. For example, um, my character, so I'm, I made a, I created a dude character mm-hmm. um, and he's got really heavy floppy feet. Oh, okay. <laughs> so when you're walking, you know, you can hear the footsteps, your own footsteps when you're walking through the world. Uh-huh. Well, it sounds like his feet are like really large. Like he's got these flippers for feet and he's just like slapping the cement pavement whenever he walks. And it doesn't matter if he's wearing boots or loafers or sneakers or anything. It's, it's the same sound. So they used the same sound for his footsteps. And I'm like, okay, first of all, you could you have played with the sound a little bit? Second of all, did you have to make it so freaking loud? It's a first person. Okay. You're walking all over the place and everywhere you go. It's not like you're, it, it's not like this is a fantasy game where you're running on grass and mm-hmm. in the forest, you're literally running on concrete 90% of the time because it's in right. a city. And so you're just, your feet are just flopping all over the place and you're constantly hearing it and it gets annoying. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I can understand that that repetitive sound all yeah. the time can eat at you. I get it, but that all right. That's just there, a very odd and it's unique a weird complaint. For a it's game. a weird thing. Yeah, it's a weird thing. Another thing that really annoys me, it started to annoy me, is uh, the map. So, like many games, you write, you hit a key, and it brings the map up. In this case, you hit M, boop, and your map comes up. There's a lot of stuff happening on the map. There are a lot of icons and it's there's a learning curve to figure out what all these icons mean and to learn how to read the map. Okay, great. That's fine. Within a within a couple of hours I got it. But what is what annoys me is the fact that I hit M brings up the map, but if you hit M again, it doesn't close the map. It changes the view from a two-dimensional to a three-dimensional map. Mm-hmm. I never use the three-dimensional map. I just want to close the freaking map in order to close the map. You can, and if you just hit the M, it just toggles back and forth, for, back and forth, 2d, 3d, 2d, 3d. So you have to hit M to open the map. Then you have to hit escape, but escape doesn't close the map. Escape takes you to this main portal for your character. And then you have to hit escape again. So, which means if I want to close the map, I have to hit escape twice. Doesn't seem like that big of a deal. <laughs> No, but it I, starts to get really annoying. So I told you I'm playing control. Yeah. So the game control. Well, yeah. in most games, when you bring up the map, what does yeah. that do? Pause the game. Pauses the game. Not in control. Not in control. You look at the map <laughs> and you can have something literally come up behind you and eat your face off while yes. you're not, while you're trying to look around at this teeny map. Where the frig? 
heck am I supposed to be going? Yeah. Well, and in every other menu ever, when you open a menu, the back button or on like the Xbox controller is B. B. That's back. That goes, yeah. okay, out of there, exit, last screen, close window, whatever you want to call it. Not in control because no. it doesn't pause the game. Well, B is a, your evade. You know how many cliffs I have jumped off of <laughs> trying to close the stupid map? <laughs> a lot. And the loading screen when you die takes a really long time. <laughs> I mean, it is one of those games that are like, oh, it's loading. All right, I'm going to go make a snack and go to the bathroom and put on some socks because my feet are getting cold. I'll come back and I'll still wait. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, okay, go ahead. Map issues. One of the another thing that I don't like about the game is the is the armor. So um, I'm one of these I'm one of these kind of players where I really like to to um, number crunch. No, well I do like to number crunch, but I also like to play with the aesthetics of my characters. And you know, so I I created so the the background of my character I created. I'm a, I'm a corporate guy. They call him a corpo, right? So my guy a, has a background of a corporate dude. And I really envisioned running around the world, you know, dressed in a, a suit, suit tie, suit tie, fedora, right? Like, yeah, yeah, I wanted to be that kind of that kind of character. And um, you certainly can, but every piece, every little thing in the game that you can wear is technically armor. So. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you know, I'm running around in like a tank top because it has really good armor on it. Right. And the dress shirts that I find don't, you know, they're not as good. Um, and then, but the problem then becomes you can't customize your look. So I would rather it be where you have like mods. Well, they do have mods, but I would, but all of the armor is based on the clothing that you're wearing. So you have t-shirts that are like really awesome, give you really high armor. And then you can do like these little mod slots and you can improve the armor or improve your carrying capacity, whatever. But you get new armor, you get new items all the freaking time mm -hmm. that you end up looking like a, like a freaking hobo. It looks like you walked into a Kohl's, <laughs> Kohl's exploded, and you dressed yourself with your eyes closed. Um, and You're the goodwill gangbanger. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I truly wanted to number crunch, my guy would be running around in a hot pink, uh, in a hot pink miniskirt right now, because that was the, that's the best armor that I found for my legs. But I'm like, my guy's not wearing a freaking mini dress. I'm not mini, doing that. I'm not doing that. Yeah. Right. So I would have much preferred if you could just like go and even if, if just all of the, the wearable pieces were just cosmetic. And then uh -huh. you slot mods into your character slot to increase your armor or just handle the armor with your cyberware. You are a you know, you're it's cyberpunk for crying out loud. You have all these implants and crap in you, <laughs> you know? Um, so they should have made the armor more cyberware. That would have been cool too. Um, I actually stopped caring about armor because I finally got my character in a way that I'm like, okay, he looks cool. So I'm going to stop dealing with his armor. And now I don't even mess with the armor. And I've been passing over armor pieces because I don't want to change his look. Um, which no. I, so I think that takes away, you know, some of the, from, from some of the game and the min maxing and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and that, that's, that's a bit unfortunate. Well, in most of those games, you can get lost in the minutiae of doing all that kind of stuff anyway. And I, yeah. and 
you know, I, I think a lot of those games are trying to be high reaching to appeal to as many people in some of their niche stuff. Is there a crafting system in the game? There, there is a crafting system. Um, I've only tinkered with it just a little bit. Um, Mike, I know you're not a crafter type. No, I'm not uh, really a crafter I, type. I have one, a buddy like that. And so, you know, and probably he would be able to tell you after about 10 minutes of like, oh yeah, I just crafted a whole, um, you know, business suit tuxedo yeah. looking thing. I look all James Bonds-ish and it, uh, it's got armor better than anything else out there because I did this, that, and the other thing. And you yeah. have to find this. Thing. Well, and, and there are, there are weird things too. Like, so I mentioned you have the cyberware, so you can do all these like technical implants, you know, and stuff like that. Very similar to uh, Deus Ex, right? Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things that's kind of annoying is I go to these Ripper docs to to get new implants, and there's 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 a section on your character sheet. It's got three slots, so you can you can put three pieces of cyberware in there, um, and uh, it's for your it's for skin. Um, so I was able to buy uh, an implant that is basically subdermal and it gives me like 200 or 400 armor value. And I'm like, awesome. I got all this armor from my cyberware, which is great. So I don't have to worry as much about my, the stupid clothes right. that I'm wearing, but there are two other slots. You can only have one slot with armor. Yep. All of the ripper docs that I go to, they sell other pieces of armor so I can only have, but you can only have one slotted armor. Yep. So it's like, I have these two other slots that are completely and totally useless. Um, last night I found, because there's, there's nothing to find for them. I'm like, well, where the hell do I get the other two pieces for my, for my skin? Um, I did find one that made me immune that I could, that I could buy and slot in there that would make me immune to uh, electrical damage. But I just recently bought a skill that made me immune to electrical damage. So I'm like, well, now nah, I don't need that. So, yeah. um, it's, it's a little, it's a little, there are these little pieces like that, that I think are, are a bit odd, but I am getting better at driving, but only driving motorcycles. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Cause I, it sounds like the world is fairly massive and driving is a big part, uh, in order for you to be able to get around. And yeah. for someone like you, that could be almost enough for you to go to heck with it. I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. And I'm not going to run from here across God's green creation. So bad. Um, and listening to uh, my floppy feet. Yeah. <laughs> the whole way. <laughs> well, it, you know, and the combat feels really good. But the thing is, is my character, the way I designed my character, I hardly ever go into combat. So, um, I, all I, all I carry now is, is one pistol. And I very rarely actually use the pistol because, I'm essentially a street mage, which is kind of awesome. I go into these missions and I just like, I quick hack everybody. It's called quick hacking. And, uh, and I can shock them. I can burn them. I can do all this kind of stuff to them. And most of the time, what's even better is when I go into these, into these locations and a lot of locations have them, uh, these areas have like CCTV. Mm -hmm. And so I just like find a little hiding place and I just tap into their CCV network, CCTV network. And I just look at all of the bad dudes and I just like torch them and shock them and get rid of them all. And then I disconnect and I just stroll right on in and walk through and there's nobody <laughs> left. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm literally like a maze. Like I, you know, yeah. I, I don't have as much armor as I could. I don't, you know, I'm kind of weak in that capacity. I'm certainly not a strong character. My strength's only three, which is starting still starting level, but I maxed out like intelligence and I maxed out, well, put a lot of stuff in technical stuff so I can pick locks and all kinds of crazy stuff, yeah. but I'm already thinking about playing it a second time already. Yeah. Oh yeah. Making a completely yeah. different character. 
stealthy ninja dude with like a sword. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. The cyber ninja. Yeah, definitely. I think it's definitely worth playing. The only the only other downside that people might be thinking about is um, this game does nothing new. So there, there's, I definitely thought that uh, that the hacking in, um, what was that one game that I was playing? What was it? Uh, something Watch Dogs. Dogs. Watch Dogs. That the hacking in, Do in Watch Dogs was more interesting. Um, even the hacking in deus ex to a certain degree is a bit more interesting than in this game which is kind of a kind of a bummer mm -hmm. given that it's cyberpunk um so but it doesn't do anything there's nothing new here if you've played open world games like watchdogs or the witcher or gta it's it's that same genre mm -hmm. um but one thing that i wanted to that i wanted to mention to you is it's it's starting the game is starting to well it's starting to get a lot of critics from the woke crowd. Oh, okay. Because they don't like how this game is very misogynist. I figured something like that would be coming up. Well, the game drips, just yes, drips you, with sex. Yes, absolutely. You mentioned that. Mm -hmm. So there are people that don't like that, but there are also, I read this other article that complained about the cultural appropriation of Japan of Asian culture. Um, okay. And they, you know, here's the problem. We have, you know, a lot of these writers in games industry, they're, they're, they're young, right? They, they went to high school in the mid nineties or they graduated in the early two thousands. And now they're writing for um, these different websites and, and they don't understand why cyberpunk even has Asian references in it. You know, when, when cyberpunk, oh, okay. When, so when cyberpunk, like, yeah, has, it should. well, when cyberpunk was created back in the late seventies, early eighties, there was, you know, there, it was a reflection of what was happening in, in the West coast of the United States where uh, Japan and, and China were buying up a lot of land. Right. And there was a there was a sense during the '80s that the Japanese were going to come and they were just going to put their company their companies here, mm -hmm. um, move a lot of their people here, and just sort of take over our capitalistic environment. There was a lot of concern right. about that. We had a lot of companies who were American companies who were being bought by Japanese corporations. Mm -hmm. And what these young writers don't realize is that's how it. When you're creating cyberpunk and you're imagining something into the future, there was a lot of talk about Japanese and Chinese companies taking over the United States. So it's a natural evolution to just take that thread and expand on it. And yeah. now you see, boom, there's Japantown and little China explosion and stuff like that. Well, and if you look at the the advancement of technology, even right now, um, you know, Japan has and still does lead the, the nation in the advancement of robotics and things like that. Sure, um, sure. The development of AI. I mean, they're they've actually instituted a lot of AI programs and AI platforms out there that we're just barely tapping on. And of course, there's a lot of concerns about that. But if you just take that at the natural progression, those the the Japanese and the even to an extent, part of the Chinese culture actually leads in that regard. So that's a natural progression. Yeah. I don't it's understand. An, right. And, and so they're, they're trying to claim that it's racist and all this kind of stuff. And I just think that's oh, ridiculous. Shut up. Yeah. Anyway. So that's my, that's my take on, on uh, cyberpunk. I think by the next time we talk, I'll, I will have finished it. Cause I'm really close to being done with it, with the game. Well, all right. Um, 
Well, that's All taking right. us through the first hour. So let's talk about Epictetus. Epictetus. Now, and I did, I did say when you first talked to me about this, I thought mm-hmm. um, this is actually a really, a really cool concept and a really interesting idea and something I think we might want to consider taking a few of these passages and doing them over um, if a couple episodes, I mean, who knows okay. this, this might take us into two, maybe even three different episodes where we actually break some of these conceptual ideas down and, and, um, and relate them to, uh, to modern life. So yeah, just setting the stage for that now. Cause that, I think that's very possible. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that I like in terms of philosophy, I've read a number of, uh, philosophers and, um, flirted with different types of philosophies, but I've always, or I, I shouldn't say always, I guess in, in recent years, I've, I've found a deeper connection with stoicism. Um, and, and for me, stoicism, I see that as a nat- as really the, the bedrock of minimalism. And a few years ago, I, I know a lot of people who know me know that I embraced minimalism. Um, and I, I, I don't like, I got rid of just a, a ton of, you know, stuff. Essentially all of the stuff that you see behind me is pretty much all the stuff that I own. Um, and then I own clothes and, and so, you know, I, I switched, I got rid of just so many things. And then as I started to look more into, into stoicism, I really felt that there was a, there was a sort of a connection or at least a a linkage there between minimalism and stoicism. And I felt that the two were essentially, um, saying a lot of the same stuff. So for me as a minimalist, um, also, being a like a stoic i they kind of go hand in hand so okay all right so let's let's take a few of these passages and let's talk about them yeah let's go so i like this first so this first one that i have here is, is is interesting um it says here quote remember then that if you think the things which are by nature slavish to be free and the things which are in the power of others to be your own you will be hindered. You will lament. You will be disturbed. You will blame both gods and men. But if you think that only which is your own to be your own, and if you think that what is another's, as it really is, belongs to another, no man will ever compel you. No man will hinder you. You will never blame any man. You will accuse no man. You will do nothing involuntarily. No man will harm you. You will have no enemy, for you will, suffer, for you will not suffer any harm. You look like you just hit a bong. <laughs> no, no, there, there was, I, I was actually going to start writing some things down. Um, and for all of you out there, keep in mind, I, I have no idea. I've never read this book and I have no idea what uh, <clears throat> a Dr. Ramirez is going to be revealing as we go through all this. So I was actually going to write this down so I could actually pick it apart. But um, I, I stopped after about four words. So let me let me kind of set the stage with this a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that as this is something that minimalism talks about. If you read people that are you know have blog, there are a lot of blogs about minimalism. People have written books on minimalism, but the idea is you know don't compare yourself to somebody else and mm-hmm. don't wish for you know we live in a society where we're always comparing ourselves to our neighbors, right? Keeping up with the Joneses. You've heard that. Um, yep. that comment or that adage many, many times. And, and people will go into debt just to keep up with what their neighbors are like, or people will lament if they go into a neighbor's house and they live in a big, you know, a big fancy, you know, house, right. they might feel like that's 
you know, oh, they're better than me, or, you know, they might feel a sense of jealousy or they haven't accomplished much, which is why I love minimalism because it's very focused. It's like, no, I don't want that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't want that. I'm, you know, and here Epictetus is saying, don't worry about what other people have. Mm -hmm. Only focus on what you own. And if you don't focus on what other people have, you're not going to be in those weird situations where you're lamenting over not having them. Yeah, it, it really does start to uh, tear apart the argument for the the um, the division between the haves and the have not right. class of society. But as you were reading this, I'm sorry, some of the things I I think at a, at face value, this is talking about you know I guess possessions, um, objectivity, et cetera, et cetera. But as I'm listening to you talk about it, I'm I'm hearing more about the haves that. I do have, which actually means something. And it's not about, you know, the junk that's around me in my, you know, garage here in, in the, my blue collar garage, but more of the, um, the haves that I have that it's in my house, you know, that's my, right. my family and the home that I have that allows me to not just that it's a nice house, but that I've provided shelter for me and my family, mm -hmm. you know, and looking at the, um, I guess more of the esoteric value rather the than the intrinsic value of right. of the possessions that I do have. Right. Good call. Well, so, let's go on to another one that's not so lengthy because I think this one will be really interesting. It's really okay. short. Okay. Um, this passage says the opinion about death that it is terrible is the terrible thing. That's cool. Isn't that cool? That's very cool. So, you know, the, the idea is the idea here, what Epictetus and a lot of the Stoics like Marcus Aurelius talk about is um, death is just a part of life. And, mm -hmm. and what, when somebody dies, if you lose a loved one, you're not, you're, you're, you're not lamenting or crying about the death itself you're lamenting and crying over your opinion of what death is. Now, so, wait, 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 say that again. Cause now I think you lost me. I actually thought I knew what he meant, but apparently if you have deeper insight, I'm lost. No, it's Do that it's, one more time. So if you lose, let's say you lose a loved one. Got it. Okay. We live in a, we live in a world where we know everybody's going to die. Yes. Nobody, nobody on earth will live forever. Yep. Nobody makes we it out of this that. life alive. Right. So we know everybody is going to die. So what the Stoics teach us is they say, well, if you know everybody's going to die, then you have to expect that your loved ones, the people you care about, are going to die. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, it's not the it's not the um the death itself that is painful. It is your viewpoint of death that is what causes you pain. So the heartache is not the person dying. The heartache is actually your viewpoint of that death. So, okay. <laughs> now, if I were to, to go through life saying that the saddest thing in the world is the fact that everybody dies, that would be terrible because, well, we couldn't have everybody still alive. That, that That's horrible to think about. But to say that I'm not able to mourn the death of a loved one, I don't think that's what you're intending to say, but that's almost what it seems like you sound are sounding like. 
That's exactly, um, that's a lot of what the Stoics actually talk about. You know, in fact, Marcus Aurelius, Epictetus and others wrote about how the, you should, you should imagine the worst things that can happen to you and or around you so that when those things do actually happen to you, they don't actually cause you any harm anymore. And that's a very difficult thing to grasp. They actually talk about, yes, you should, in other words, you should reflect on your wife dying, for example, or your children dying. You should actually reflect because then if it happens, you are in a much more stronger position to handle it when it, when, or should that, should that reality come, come to be about. Wow. Um, well, but I'm not a stoic. So. <laughs> <laughs> so. And, and so what they, what they talk about though, is that by doing that, by reflecting on that, mm -hmm. it's not that you live your life in sadness. Okay. It's you reflect on that so that you can learn how to deal with those emotions now, rather than when they hit you, they don't hit you like a freight train. So you're able to deal with those emotions because you've imagined it, you reflected on friends and loved ones having passed. Mm -hmm. And so then you're able to free yourself from that. So should their death come? Yes, it's going to, it's going to be painful. They're not, the Stoics don't say, don't, are not saying, you know, you're going to be fine. You're going to have no pain. You're not going to lament. They just say, reflect on it so that it doesn't consume you when it happens, because they also recognize that people can suffer the death of a loved one and can go off on the deep end. Oh, absolutely. And, and that I 100% absolutely agree with. Um, I, I know, I know people who have been consumed, literally eaten alive um, by the death of a loved one. And uh, it, it's, it's terrible to see happen. And, and, you know, I, I've talked to you, God, I don't even know how many times about the um, passing of loved ones in my life. Mm -hmm. um, I don't believe that any of those have consumed me, even, even when they happened, they didn't, at least I don't think <laughs> consumed me, but, um, but I, I mourn, I mourn them then I, I still mourn them to a point, but um, to think that I don't fear death. Um, I don't fear death in, in my life. I don't necessarily um, fear death in the, in the, the life of the loved ones around me. I think my, my view on that for, let's say my children is probably a little bit harder for me to grasp having to deal with that because of, well, they're my kids. They're supposed to have to worry about what happens when I die. That's the rule that, you know, um, I, I don't no no parent should have to bury their child. I, I, I can't, I, I can't think of that, but so, go ahead. No, but um, death it sh itself shouldn't be necessarily feared. It should be something that we should protect ourselves from to a point of, you know, not warranting unnecessary termination of ourselves or the people we care about. I'm going to say, I don't let my kids go play in traffic, but um, I'm not going to refuse to leave my house because what could happen and um, allow the fear of death to actually overtake our life. Well, and that's what they say, right? That's what the Stoics are talking about. If you reflect on death, then death won't consume you. There are people, there are people right now all over our, all over the, our country who are terrified of COVID, yes. for example. They're terrified of it. 
They are legitimately terrified. They are, they get mad at their family members. If they step outside their house, we have people that are willingly uh, secluding themselves from friends and family for holidays because they are legitimately terrified over it. And the Stoics say, reflect on it, reflect on it and deal with those. Here, here's the difference. If you have a loved one and the loved one has lived a life, but then they get sick. It doesn't matter what age, if, if you have a loved one that gets sick and especially that's a terminal illness, then you have gone through mourning stages while that person is still alive. And so when that person eventually passes, the moment of their death is really more of a release. Yes, there's still a bit of sadness, but you've already gone through the emotional, the emotional aspects of it. If you were to take that and do that now for people that you know who are not sick and you were to reflect on them as being the, the idea here is you extrapolate that and don't look at their life or death as only once they're sick, but look at it while they're healthy. And if something were to happen to them, would you be sad? Yes, you're going to be heartfelt and all of that. But then when they do, if something bad were to happen to them, you've already kind of gone through that and prepared yourself for that. So that's what the Stoics are really talking about here in terms of death. It is the opinion of that death. It is your opinion of what death means that causes you. Because a thing about Stoicism is nothing in this world is really designed to hurt you. I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, being tortured or things like that. I'm just talking about the way we generally live our life day to day, the, the average person around the world, that things do not actually affect you. It is your opinion of those things that affect you. So if people are mean to you, or if people talk bad behind your back, right? It's your opinion of what all of that means that causes you harm. It's not necessarily sure. them talking bad about you. Sure. No, and you know that 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 I can actually wrap my head around pretty easy. Um, you know, there I know a lot of people that are very consumed in their daily lives with what they think other people are um, saying or what other people's opinion are of them. Or um, oh, I heard some. I I heard somebody was saying this about you. Well, if you're the kind of person that goes, oh my god, why or how dare they, and, and that becomes all you can think about. Well. Yeah, they've got a lot of power over you in that regard. I know for someone like me, <laughs> especially me, I heard somebody saying blah 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 about you. Oh yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they said you're an asshole. They were probably right. Yeah. <laughs> what was it about in particular? I was just curious. You know? Oh yeah, I, I did that. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but that that alleviates the not only the burden of you to have to now internalize that external um, situation and make it a problem that you have to then deal with. So that's very liberating in that regard, but it completely removes any kind of control that other people may have over you and how to direct your your day to day involvement. I mean, there's I've seen a lot of people in different places I work. That's they get consumed in that so quick and they they get lost in what they're supposed to be doing. Um, I don't worry about what people, anybody who's known me for most of my life knows I really don't give a crap what most people think about me. It's very liberating. Yeah. Well, yeah, you, <laughs> you know, and I think there's a reason why most people do. I think there's okay. a reason why most people do care about what other people think. Uh, and, and I look at how we evolved as, as animals, we evolved as, as social animals, we can't do everything 
uh, by ourselves, we, we need to rely, we need to actually be able to inter inter uh, interact in groups so that we can survive. Mm -hmm. And the only way that we can gauge whether or not we are useful to the group or the group is willing to support us is through our own self-esteem. Mm -hmm. In other words, gauging the, the like, you know, do other people like me, right? Mm -hmm. If other people like me, then, oh, then now I have a sense of attachment in the group, or I have a sense of value and worth in the group, and I can interact in the group, and I'll be able to get the things that I need in the group. For example, if you're part of a company, you want everybody to at least like you and not talk crap about you, right? And if they do, then you start to feel, well, my self-worth is not good for this company and maybe I need to leave. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a natural, that, that's a natural reaction in those kinds of, um, in those kinds of things. Now there's a, there's a point, I think there's a, I think there's a healthy level, there, our self-esteem can be a healthy barometer to sure. help us gauge our influence within the group so that we can survive. Sure. But take, but too many people, I think, <clears throat> fall off the wagon and they allow that, that self-esteem meter to really control their lives. And if, if anybody says anything in, that's slightly perceived as negative, it's, oh my God, you hate me. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's well, not a healthy place to be. No. And, and I believe me, I, I think everybody is able to function in society a lot better if they're generally um, liked by other people, if they can cohabitate and converse with each other. I don't think anybody intentionally wants to be, and myself included, wants to be mean or hurt other people's feelings intentionally. And, you know, I, I, I think there's a, there is a, a middle ground where we can say, you know, I don't want to owe to intentionally hurt anyone's feelings. If I unintentionally did that, I'm sorry. If that's not good enough and you want recompense for that, well then forget it. I mean, because ultimately there's only so much of that, which is under my control. And I recognize that too. I can't control how you feel. I have some responsibility for how much of that I actually add or take away from, but only so much. Um, so yes, I think it's good to actually get along with the people you work with. You don't have to be intentionally antagonistic. Um, and I think actually that makes you a stronger person. And really in the end, I think those stronger people who are like that end up getting along with most everybody else anyway, because they're, genuine and they're honest and and people latch on to that because nobody likes fake people every nobody likes that i think most people say they don't like that but i think in some cases people don't want people don't want to see other people be real oh no in no some, no there's in some instances i so i will agree with that but i'll make this fair point mm -hmm. i think people like being around people who are honest upright and real but they hate brutal honesty. Nobody likes brutal honesty. Well, and that's why I say I don't. And I think even I think even even if you were to differentiate between honesty and and brutal honesty, I think there are a lot of people that still don't even want to deal with the honesty. They want to deal with honesty as long as you're not being negatively honest about them. If if you can if you can be honest about the th things that are around them or in the environment around them, they're, they're thumbs up. They, they, they're like, that's great, but we don't like to have most people. 
the vast majority of people do not like to have any sort of magnifying glass put on them by somebody else, even if it's done in a way that is very minimalist and in a loving way, right? Mm -hmm. um, we, we tend to get offended by that. So I think most people want honesty, but they want honesty with caveats. Yes. You, I, I'll, I'll take honesty, but I still need you to prop me way up from where I was. Right, um, right, right. And I've had that same situation where somebody says, well, let me, exp I, you, you didn't seem to agree with me on this. So let me explain. And they go into a very long diatribe and they say, and it's always the, so you understand? Yes. Yes. I understand. You do. You understand. Absolutely understand. So you agree. No, I do not. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't agree. Right. Well, what do you mean? You just said you understand. Yes, I understand. I right. understand what you are saying. I understand the points that you are making. I understand why you feel that your argument is sound, um, but I do not agree with you. And you want to see somebody literally implode. You can watch their face and head just go, and they yeah. just don't know what to do with themselves is uh, say that, yes, I understand, but I don't agree. And I'm just not being contrary and saying, no, I think your idea is stupid. That's just offensive. Right. Um, that's just, yeah. That's being yeah. a jerk. That's just yeah, poke, yeah. poke the bear, poke you. That's just being intentionally antagonistic. I can do that sometimes too, but <laughs> no, I there's, and you've heard me say this many a times, you know, I don't, I can understand it, but I don't have to agree with it. And that's, and um, I'm actually really latching on to that idea more and more and more because it allows me, you actually talked about this last week about challenging your own biases. Mm -hmm. um, if you, you can be um, steadfast in a viewpoint, but that doesn't mean you should close yourself off to the viewpoints of others. So if nothing else, that's a way for me to compartmentalize my own ideas and say, okay, well, this is my thoughts on this, but let's explore what it is you're talking about. And if at the end I can understand the the argument and the exploration in that um, mindset, if it still does not outweigh what we've already discussed or the, the uh, mindset that I've already had, then I can understand where you're at and I do not agree with you. Or perhaps I understand and maybe you're right. I do agree. But if you can allow yourself to actually, I guess, take a step outside of your own ideas and, and follow along, I think that can open you up to some new possibilities. I think it can too, but I think I think for people to do that, they really have to be very aware of, of confirmation bias. I, I think confirmation bias is one of the most brutal forms of bias that that people adhere to, and we all adhere to it. Um, and it's destructive. It, it's it's it very, can destructive. Be very destructive. The problem with the problem with confirmation bias is the rule of one. There's there's the rule of one for confirmation bias, and that is if you say something to me. Okay. And I have to stop and think, do I, should I believe what you believe? Mm -hmm. If the answer, if, if I quickly answer that and say, yes, I should believe that. And if somebody were to ask me, well, why do I agree with Jason on that? All it takes is one reason. All I need to find is one reason that locks me in and proves that I should believe you. If, however, you say something and I'm like, should I believe that? No, I shouldn't believe that. Okay. Then all it takes for me to, to tell you why I shouldn't believe that, again, is one thing. If I can find one thing that, can, that tells me I should not believe you, then 
then I don't, then I won't do it. Then I'll just, I won't believe that. Most people operate that way. So what I challenge people on is I say, try to do at least three things <laughs> because you have to work. You, you have to work to find one in a lot of situations. You have to work to find one. If you got to do a lot of work to find one, imagine how much work you have to do to find three things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so confirmation bias, it, it can be, it, we can be enslaved to it. Because all I need, if I, if I just, if my intuition says I shouldn't believe that, I'm not going to believe that, then all it takes for me to be very, to, to, to fall into my convictions and say, no, I don't need to believe it is just one item. Boom. I'm done. And I don't have to believe it. So I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with the concept of confirmation bias from mm-hmm. psychology. We talked about mm-hmm. that quite a bit. Um, I also, as far as a biblical sense, when you talk about um, three, always look for three examples. You know, even um, in the Bible, it says, verify everything I have said in the eyes of three witnesses. And that's the, that's important. But for the sake of everyone out there, all of the people in our listening audience, um, can we do an example of what you're talking about? So I think they can understand. Sure. Let's use, let's use a very controversial, controversial idea. Okay. Okay. To try to illustrate it. And I'm not going to use abortion because we used that in the last in one. Yeah, let's not do that. So we won't use that one, but let's use capital punishment. Oh, okay. Good. Ooh. Okay. 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 So let's use, let's use capital punishment. If you believe that, yes, we should put down the worst people in our society, we should kill them. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you believe that, if that, if I say, yes, we should kill the hardened criminals, we should kill those people that are the most despicable that have committed the most atrocious crimes in our society. Okay. Um, now you can, all you, all you need to, all you need to have, if you, if your intuition and, and remember, I'm talking about intuition right off the bat. Okay. Right, because right, a right. lot of what we say or things that happen around us in our society, our intuition tends to fire first. And we will either, our intuition will say either, yes, I'm for that or no, I'm against it. Right. So if our intuition fires first and says, yes, I agree with capital punishment, then all you really need is one thing. Most people just need one example of why capital, uh, to help them confirm their bias that capital punishment is okay. Yeah. Most intellectual decisions happen with under two seconds. Right. So um, if I say capitalism, capital punishment should be a thing and you say, I agree. And then if I say, well, why? Okay. I agree. Right. Then I say, well, why do you agree with that? Well, um, you know, I, I look at people who have committed murder for murder's sake and, and mass shootings. The, the person who committed the crimes of uh, the mass shooting in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. There is no remorse um, for that person. There's no saving him. And look at the lives he's taken. Um, he, should, he should be put to death for that. Okay. And, and that's a valid, and for, and for a person, they could use that as a valid argument sure. I'm, that, I'm trying. So, that now solidifies <laughs> themselves. So now what they've done is they agreed with intuition and yep. now they're using their, their rational mind to come up with evidence that supports that intuition judgment. Yes. Okay. And so even if, even if I were to lob at you, all of these reasons why it's bad, mm-hmm all of these reasons to be against it. You've got that one. I still can hang on to that. You can hang on to that forever and never change your mind. Sure. It also works the other way too. If, if I say, if I say, you know, capital punishment and if your gut says, I say, no way we should be abolished completely. No capital punishment. Mm -hmm. 
then all you need to rationalize that if I try to challenge you is one thing. And if you just say, well, killing is evil, killing is bad, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a, I'm, I believe in the Bible. I believe in yep. the 10 commandments. The 10 commandments say, do thou shalt not kill. Therefore that's it. That's it. Right. No there. matter what anybody will say to try, can, to try to change my mind will work because I will always hinge on that one, that one reason. Nope. Mm -hmm. The Bible tells me thou shalt not kill. Therefore, it doesn't matter what you can say, what you can say. I'm not going to change my mind. Okay. So then you talked about actually trying to come up with three solid rational reasons at, to support um, that reaction. Now, what does that do for the average person? Because well, remember, sure. if I still going to hold on to that, I can hold on to it forever. And I just have that one thing. So yeah. what is having three do for you me and everyone else well I, I think having if you can if you can do the work to come up with three three different things and i don't mean just rephrasing that one in a different light sure right um but and not coming three up, examples of the same right not three examples of the same thing mm -hmm. okay but if you do the hard work to come up with three items i think it puts you in a better position not only it it if you can come up with three different items, it forces you to think about that topic a little bit more. Okay. It forces you to look at it from a couple of different angles to see if it's okay. But I would also challenge you to try to come up with three opposing viewpoints as well yeah. while you're thinking about it. Um, because you might be surprised what you find in some of those, in some of those, those other, those other options. Mm -hmm. um, and, and if you can do that, I think then it starts placing you on a, on a path of getting away from the tribalism that tech that tends to take place in our, in our politics and stop thinking about in terms of, well, my side is a for is, is for or against capital punishment or for or against abortion or for or against taxation, whatever you want to put on that. You start, you start getting away from the tribalism and you start really thinking about is what are the pros and cons of it? And if I can at least get three on either side, you're at least starting to walk a path where you're opening your mind to more possibilities and where you're starting to think about it. And, and here's the other thing. If you come up with multiple reasons, even if you come up with reasons against and you still adjust, you still look at those and go here, these are three solid good reasons against it. But you know what? I, I dislike, I discard these and then come up with a reason why you discard them. Your arguments are going to get stronger and stronger in terms of what you believe and actually why you should think you should believe it yep. rather than just getting, and as you get away from the intuition and you start getting more and more into rationalizing and thinking about what, what you support or what you believe in. Go ahead. Well, and what's really, really interesting is when you and I first all the way back to season one i don't know mm -hmm. you know 30 some odd episodes ago now mm -hmm. um we talked a lot about values and principles right and interestingly enough when when i was trying to solidify you know kind of what some of my own values and principles were um i did this a very similar argument you know why is this a value is it really a value for me or is it something i just really like that's a part of my life um, and it was interesting actually doing that same thing, looking at, well, challenging my own ideas. If this is really a value, then that should 
fall in line with a lot of other things. And if it doesn't, where's the disparaging um, aspects of that? You know, um, we talked about the sanctity of life and that's how we started talking about uh, abortion and capital punishment and some of those other things well beyond that. But, and truth is another very, very interesting concept. If you really look at truth um, as a true core value and actually following mm -hmm. that out through your life. So um, Christmas is coming. You know, that brings up some interesting questions for a lot of parents out there. But, you know, when you really start looking at some of these things and not only picking apart your own knee-jerk reaction, but actually looking at the opposing argument, trying to find some things that you can agree with even potentially out of there. What are the key portions of that element or argument that you can actually empathize with enough to at least understand the rationale for the argument or the point? And then that'll either allow you to retort more effectively or mm -hmm. perhaps there's there is merit to this that needs to be reevaluated by something you maybe were biased against yeah so and and i believe intuition um has served humans very well i mean we wouldn't have gotten to the point where we are today as a, as just a, a species without intuition so i think intuition does does serve a, a very specific role in terms of our adaptability and our survivability um but in, in, our, in our complex world where things are, you know, we're the only species to have things like government, for example, and, and you know, creating things. And we, we're the only species that we know of that can at least look at multiple paths of, of decision-making. And therefore we can, in essence, see into the future in a matter of speaking, okay? Yeah. Because I can play out different paths of if I make decision A, then what's going to happen? And if I make decision B and decision C and, you know, then, then this could happen and that could happen. So, you know, in a matter of speaking, I can look into the future to see what could possibly transpire. You know, we're the only real species that can do that, that we, that we know of. Um, so because we can do that, I think it's, I think it behooves us to not rely solely on intuition. We've talked about this, how thinking is very difficult. People yes. normally don't think. All we do is we think about and try to develop reasons why aren't we should just believe what we already believe. Um, and 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 that's why I say it just takes it normally just takes one. It's the rule of one. Should I believe it or should I not believe it? As long as I can find one, whichever one that is. Now, most people are not gonna say, they're not gonna say, should I believe it or should I not? Let me find one for each. They don't do that. Right. They're in because that would be acting without intuition. Mm -hmm. Again, what I'm saying is if if something, what is your thought? You know, I believe in capital punishment. If I were to say that, people are gonna immediately have an intuition, uh, an intuitive response to that. Either yes, I'm for it, or no, I'm or I'm not. And based on and now they've already gone down one path. So mm -hmm. all they need to stay on that one path is one example yeah. to confirm that bias, and they're locked in. Yeah, and we we had a really good uh, um, exercise in this actually with our show on are people inherently good or evil? Yeah, we did. Yeah. Because we actually we we picked this apart that exact same way, and and you and I were on the exact opposite end of the spectrum on that. Um, I think we still are actually, mm -hmm. but nevertheless, we were we actually did the uh, very similar exercise being able to look at the arguments for both. And I think that's important, you know, our, and again, our intuition has served us well as a species. We are still here. Um, 
And you eloquently pointed out the entire universe is trying to kill us every day. And the fact that we survive (laughs) every day is a testament to our intuition because most of the time we're not sitting and analyzing, should I go left or straight at the red light up ahead? You know, we intuitively are making decisions. And that's why I said most of our intellectual capacity and decision-making happens within less than two seconds. I mean, we are are making decisions that way all of the time. So I'm not saying um abandon just your yeah, intuition no. but understand that your intuition also builds on your base of knowledge yeah. so every time you start to analyze some of those things and those beliefs that you have um are people inherently good or evil the more you analyze that the more your intuition may change based on new information stored away in your brain yeah so your intuition may become more quote unquote intuitive, if you will. Um, and you might be surprised. You might land in some better places. Yeah. Later on. And you're absolutely right. We have to rely on that intuition because can you imagine if you had to spend by every decision that you came to, you had to rationalize it and figure it out before you could actually make a decision. We wouldn't I'd be never, able to function. We I wouldn't be able, I wouldn't be able to leave the house. I'd be, I'd yeah. still be trying to figure out what to wear in the morning. Right. You know, <laughs> should I, or should I not take a shower? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, no, that's an easy one. I mean, <laughs> I don't need to come up with three reasons for or against. I can tell you shower every day is a good thing. Yeah. Let me, let me read another one from Epictetus. All right. Okay. He says here, it is the act of an ill-instructed man to blame others for his own bad condition. It is the act of one who has begun to be instructed to lay the blame on himself and of one whose instruction is completed neither to blame another nor himself. Well, that's cool. I like that a lot. Actually, that reminds me of a rant I was on not long ago about actually taking some responsibility for your life and quit blaming everybody else for what you do or do not have. And all the bad stuff that happens to you is nobody else's fault. Well, let, yeah. And let's, let's, so let's start with the first part of those. So there are three things that, he, that Epictetus says here. The first part, he says, it is the act of an ill-instructed man to blame others for his own bad condition. I see this a lot, you know, we see people that they just want to, well, you know, um, I failed at this, be, not because of anything I did, but because, you know, uh, the, the bad, the big man's got me down, you know, government is oppressing me. Um, uh, I, I failed because the 1% doesn't pay enough in taxes or, you know, I failed because um, somebody put up a strip mall next to my, my business, my place of business, and that pulled all of the, all of the customers away from my business, right? So I've, it, is a, it is an ill-instructed man to blame others for his bad condition. Yep. I've, I've, I've said something and actually heard something like that before. So the ignorant blame everyone else for their problems. The ignorant blame everybody else. Yeah. They blame everybody else for their problems. Mm-hmm. The next thing that Epictetus says is it is the act of one who has begun to be instructed to lay the blame on himself. So somebody who's learning now. Mm-hmm. So now they're expanding their mind. They're acquiring new knowledge. They're actually starting to look into things. Now they tend to take everything onto themselves mm-hmm. because somewhere along the lines, they heard, Hey, you control a lot of what you're involved in. Right. Right. This is the, the, the person who's just fell down into a ditch because they were, you know, and somebody else goes, looks down and says, well, what did you learn? 
Right. You know, <laughs> well, and I think I there's value the, there. Oh, I, absolutely. I, I think once you're starting to learn here and you start realizing and you start putting the blame on yourself and you start blaming yourself for it, I think that's a, that's a good path to start on, but it's yeah. not the path to live on. Well, no, I'm not saying you, you beat yourself up over every single freaking thing, but you and I talked about this with the effects of success and failure just last week. And what do we say? You know, success teaches you nothing. Failure, this is where all of the lessons are. And if you can take that in a uh, approach failure and approach life in an optimistic light, that even the bad things that happen in, to, and around you have life lessons to be learned from, it's not depressing, it's uplifting because it allows you to recognize that you have the power and ability through your own self-reflection and education to change your future to not let the same stupid stuff happen to you over and over again. That's the biggest difference between the, uh, the ignorant man and the self-educated one. The ignorant person will never be able to get out of the rut of a, uh, just being built a dead, ha- a dead hand. Yeah. You, you, and I know people like this, actually one of my best friends from high school, bless his heart. He will never get out of this his whole life. He goes through his entire life, always has and always will, very much stuck in the mentality that he got dealt a shitty hand of cards very early on, and so he will never get out of it. And so as long as today sucked a little bit less than yesterday, that's the best life he's ever going to have. I think we all know at least one of those people. Yeah, and you know, I think the self-educating person says, you know what? Today sucked. What can I learn from that? And how can I make that better tomorrow? Because it, that's what I can control. If I relinquish myself that everything is outside of my hands and I'm just a pawn along the chessboard of life and I can get struck down by a meteor at any time and somebody's just going to come, then I have no control over it. That's very monotonous and pointless. And I have no value at that point because there's nothing I can do to change my outcomes. If I, as I educate myself and say, okay, you know, this was a bad situation. I, I took some hits, but what can I learn from it? So that next round I can go out and do a, even a little bit better. Okay. That was better. Here's what I still can improve on. And that, that self-improvement lends to, um, illumination and education in the life that actually I think will bring happiness throughout. So the, the last thing Epictetus says, the last one of this triad here is of one whose instruction is completed neither to blame another nor himself and i think that's just a form of wisdom because Mm -hmm. because if you're if you're wise there and something happens you recognize yeah you know what there might be something there might be part of that which i can control but there might also be other parts of it that i didn't have any control over either um and and so it's 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 virtuous to at least understand where the blame lies and how much of the blame lies with myself or with somebody else if somebody else is involved. So therefore you can see what you control to try to make the next situation better. Um, But then it also either puts you in a position where either A, I can work with you, let's say, let's say something happened to me and you contribute portion of that. I can now work with you and say, hey, you know what? This is your this is what you own in that. And we can strengthen and build our relationship a little bit better. Right. Or if it's, if it's somebody like you're a politician, and I don't have, I don't have any way to get to you. Well, I know what I controlled. I know what you controlled. 
And now I, I'm not going to put all the blame on me because I'm not necessarily going to, I don't, there's no reason for me to take all the blame, but there's also no, not necessarily reason for you to take all that blame either. And, right. and I, and I learned what he's saying here is a learned person, a wise person understands that. Right. And this is, this reminds me of something my grandfather used to say um, when lamenting on situations that had happened, you know, is there, he would say, was there anything about that that you could have done differently to change the outcome? Essentially asking what about that particular situation was within your realm of control. And I do like that much more than saying, you know, what part of the blame lies on you? Because blame is very, of course, it's it's very negative. It's very penal almost. Um, because with blame comes responsibility, comes punishment, etc. Control, I think, allows the person to look at a situation understanding their own influence as far as their own abilities or the the boundary line of their conduct and what they're able to relatively affect. So in any kind of situation, if there's mutual control over multiple parties, that at least allows you to recognize where no matter what I could have done, this is the end of the extent of my conduct, the boundary line of my conduct. I can only control this sphere right here around me to this point. Then everything else is outside of me and I'm actually free. I'm liberated to release that and say, then it has no effect on me. It's outside of my control. It's outside of my realm and sphere of influence. And I'm okay to let that go. I do not have to take that into myself. I don't have to make that a part of me as a person. I don't have to internalize that part of that. Good stuff. Let's do one more here. We got uh, okay. Epictetus says, whoever then wishes to be free, let him neither wish for anything nor avoid anything which depends on others. Say that, repeat that one. Sure. Mm -hmm. Whoever then wishes to be free, let him neither wish for anything nor avoid anything which depends on others. Okay. So, so the first part of this, let him neither wish for anything that depends on others, which means if if you produce something, let's say you produce widgets, mm -hmm. I should not wish for the widget. Because okay. if I wish, and we see this all the time in our sure, own society, sure. we see this in our society where we, we look at the 1%, for example, and people say, well, I want what they have. We had a politician, um, I think it was, um, was it? It was either either the mayor of L.A. or maybe the governor of L.A. or governor of California um, who, who basically let the cat out of the bag and said that the that his intention is to redistribute wealth. Mm -hmm. Right. We have we have people that want to literally take from those who have and redistribute that wealth to people who do not have. Um, and, and a lot of people fit that billet where they look at some that something that somebody has and says, well, I want that. So I'm going to take it from you. Um, and that's a very bad place to be in, even if we mm -hmm. try to leverage our politicians to get it legally, right? Because that's what we're essentially doing is let's steal from you legally and give to me because you have more than I have. So what Epictetus is saying is if you want to be free, stop, stop looking at what others have and wanting what they have. Right. Right. Um, envy and covetousness is 
that only enslaves you to the situation of feeling slighted. Right. That goes back to what I was talking about before, about a person who goes through life and is always looking at or feeling like they got dealt a shitty hand and right. they'll never be able to do better. It's also um, what we talked about with just recently about where is your own control or realm of influence? Yeah, I can't control what other people have or don't have, but that's not for me to have to worry about. That's their I don't have to worry about it. Right. It's that's their, their problem. You know, somebody down the street may have a boat and I go, that's not fair. I want a boat. How come I don't get a boat? Well, okay. What am I going to do? Go take the boat. Well, now it's my boat. Now I got to get all, I, I got to deal no with all what, the crap. Now I got to deal with all that stuff. Right. And next thing you know, I mean, that's an, and ultimately that's not going to get you any happier. Mm-mm. And so if you're able to actually only wish for the things that you actually have the power to control, then you have the authority to go out and do that. Or just say, you know what? I'm happy with what I got and I don't have to wish for anything. Yeah. You know, you know, it's funny. Um, you know, I talk about this with like, you know, my house, for example, you've seen my house. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think my house is a big house by any stretch of the imagination, but I also think that my house is too big. <laughs> well, especially for the minimalist that you are. Now. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to, I want to, I want a tiny house, but I know I would never be able to convince, you know, Oh, stop it. Don't put the blame on your wife or your lady because <laughs> you wouldn't, you couldn't live in a tiny house and have a room for all of your Skynet computer stuff. Oh, if I just, if the whole place was just the <laughs> Skynet computer stuff, I'd be happy. Um, but I would, I want to have a, a smaller house, you know, and even if I could afford, um, and I know I could afford a larger house. I don't want a larger house because, and people say, well, why wouldn't you want a larger house? Because I have to, I have to deal with all the crap that comes with that. Mm-hmm. I have to deal with all of the maintenance that comes with a bigger house. I live in Arizona. I don't even want to think about cooling a house. I was going to say that for you, my an, an air conditioning unit or five would be necessary. Oh yeah. I don't, I, and I don't want to pay the, the, the taxes on something that's, mm-hmm. that's bigger than what I have. I want to downsize. I wanted something smaller where, because I would rather use, I would rather save some of that money and be able to use it on, on other things. I'd rather use it for experiences. I'd rather go on a, you know, either take a, you know, take like a cooking class, for example, or go on a vacation or something, right? I would rather do something. I almost thought you were going to say cruise. <laughs> I really did for some reason. Thought you were going well, to do like, that too. No, you would not. That's a lot of people on a, that is a lot of might, people. might look like a really big boat until yeah. you get there with all the, uh, you, you would die. Yeah. Cause yeah. you couldn't get I, in the car and leave and go. I, want, peace I out. like the idea of a, of a cruise, but yeah. But yeah, so I, I actually want a smaller, a smaller house. I, I would love to just have like, you know, just a smaller house. Um, so, you know, anyway, it, the, the idea again here is stop wishing for what you don't have. Stop wishing, stop comparing yourself to somebody else and wishing what they have. Because you know what, quite frankly, there's a lot of garbage and, and baggage that can come with a lot of that other stuff that, right. they, that they have. But the other well, thing here is Epictetus says, but, av- but do not avoid anything which depends on others. Mm-hmm. So we shouldn't just simply say, I'm not going to be a part of society anymore. We have to, you know, we still have to interact and we have to, you know, I'm not going to grow my own food, nor am <laughs> I going to go hunt for my own meat. For example, I know that's kind of a, Right. crazy example but 
it's still true. I'm still going to have to, I still am going to interact with society because that's just better for everybody within society. I'm still going to buy my food at the grocery store. I'm going to, I'm not going to butcher my own animals, you know? I think this is a very interesting passage for you, or at least part of this for you. Um, when, uh, you know, when it comes to relying on other people, I, I don't think we should become dependent on other people to provide for our own well-being and happiness correct which i think is the key right. now that, that that doesn't mean that you become a recluse and you no. you know move off the grid and go live in a shack like a hermit either right but do not become dependent on other people to provide for your own well-being emotional spiritual personal physical etc right so good stuff that is good stuff yeah I like that. We should do more of that. So we can certainly do more of it. Obviously, Epictetus wrote more than what... Actually, Epictetus didn't write any of this. Oh. Um, which is which is quite funny. You know, what's, what's interesting is Epictetus was actually a slave for a while. Okay. Know? He was a slave, but uh, he didn't actually write any of these things. Um, you know, he didn't write the uh, um, Enchiridion at all. He had a, uh, you know, a lackey. <laughs> He, he had, had a snurdly. He, he had a he had a padawan. Okay, he had a padawan that he was you know that he was mentor to, um, and the padawan basically just wrote all of the lessons and things that Epictetus taught him, and then and then the the padawan is the one who actually published all of this. So Epictetus okay. didn't actually sit down and write the the Enchiridion, although Epictetus is credited as writing the Enchiridion understand so all right very cool so good stuff um well i think that just about does it for this particular episode i don't know about you i had fun that was good i liked it so um as always if you send us you can find all of our stuff at fusionunderground.net. you can find us at facebook at facebook.com forward slash az fusion underground um send us hate mail contact at fusionunderground.net. If you go out to our website, you'll find all of our audio uh, links to all of our, to our podcast, our audio version. You'll also find the link to our YouTube channel. If you go out on a YouTube, if you just do Fusion Underground, we're the first ones that pop up. So that's always good. We are on like Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Apple, Google Podcast, Stitcher, Google yeah. Podcasts. We're on all the podcasts. So we get disseminated out to all of them. So find us where you find all your great, uh, all your favorite podcasts. All right. Well. All right. For Jason Moret, I'm Manuel Ramirez. And as always, you've been listening to the Fusion Underground. Cheers, everybody. Have a good night. Merry Christmas. <laughs> you know what? Oh, I what? was going to say something to you. Uh oh. Before I hit the, the whole. Uh, before the exit music so that everybody can music. hear. Okay, go ahead. I was going to. And then I forgot what that was going to what I was going to what I was going to say. So, so, <laughs> all right, <laughs> tune in next week. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll remember, but a uh, happy Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas, everyone. Happy Hanukkah, whatever it is, whatever it's called. Um, yeah. All right. All right. Peace out. <laughs>